My name's Joanne Averson, and you are so welcome to Series 3 of my podcast. Enjoy. Today's episode is about considering the fascia as what I've called in my book, the neutral servant of the body. And what do I mean by that? Well, fascia is the architectural tissue of us. And it's how we self-organize from an embryo. And one of the key things that Jörg van der Waal speaks of, which I think is a really potent idea, it's essentially the truth. And I think it's an idea that we can't afford to ignore. And that is that we begin whole. We begin as what he refers to in embryological terms as a zygote. And that zygote, that completed potential unicellular being self-organizes into you. Now, clearly, it gets its supplies from the mother. And there's a relationship, a support system, a supply line, if you like. Not that it's linear. Please don't imagine that for a moment. But it's a resource. The mother is the resource. The mother is the safety net. The mother is the container. The mother is the nurturer. But every single one of us, without exception, every living thing actually, self-organizes, self-develops via the exquisite architecture of the fascia, the fascia matrix. And calling the fascia a matrix is really quite an important terminology because it is if you like a mesh or it's enmeshed in our beingness that brings it forth, it enmeshes our beingness, or you could say our beingness enmeshes it. Becomes a bit of a conundrum. Like, you know, who came first, the being or the body? I suspect the being. Or maybe they met. But the invisible part of us, the anima animus, that animating force that you could call it the spirit of us, or you might call it the soul, invisible as it is, animates the tissue as life force, whatever you want to call it, into being. And it begins whole. And it generates the parts. And this is the key that Jörg van der Waal reminds us of. The parts are not put together to make the whole, as happens in mechanics. You know, if a car is made up of, I'm making this up, 2,562 parts, they have to be put together in a certain way to result in a car. So it might be a watch. I mean, I don't know how many, there might be a million parts in a car. I've no idea. But the point is the parts 
when organized in an appropriate way by someone else or a machine that's been organized by someone else. At whatever level of scale it involves others, it is put together and organized from the parts towards the whole. Now, you could say that each one of us requires two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 great-great-great-grandparents, and so on up until you have many thousands of ancestors to bring about one you. But they are not what we mean by the parts of us because you begin whole and you form the parts within you. It's sort of the opposite way round. In other words, we could say we're self-organizing. And what's that got to do with neutral? Well, the tissue self-organizes or we self-organize our architecture as a fascia matrix. Matrix comes from mater, meaning mother. And we require a mothering support, a mothering frame, a mothering fabric to enfold the fabric of us that we self-weave. This unicellular being, the zygote, shapeshifts and twists and invaginates, i.e. folds itself around and through itself and weaves this incredible bioorganic origami until it's about the size of a walnut inside a walnut shell. And it's a complete, whole, tiny, tiny human being. You were that at that point in your self-development. And the medium in which you self-organized in all its variety of thicknesses and densities and textures and types of organization is made of fascia. And it's a liquid crystal matrix. And this is quite hard for us to get our heads around when we consider the fascia, because whether we realize it or not, it's much easier for us to think that there's a solid bit and a liquid bit and the liquid bit goes inside the solid bit, a bit like the plumbing in a house. You have tubes for the water and you have wires for the electricity and you have right-angled walls. And indeed, you have fascia boarding in um, hard matter architecture. What is so fascinating about living architecture of biologic forms is that we too have tubes and wires, if you like, if you want to use that metaphor. And we could talk about 
in a way, ceilings and floors. We can think of the diaphragm of the ceiling of the abdominal cavity and the floor as the pelvic floor, for example. We actually use that language. But it doesn't make us hard matter. And what's even more fascinating is that every single one of those aspects of us is made of fascia, neurofascia, vascular fascia, tenderness fascia, ligamentous fascia, myofascia, osseofascia. And they're not separate. The wiring in a house has to be kept completely separate from the plumbing. Now, they are distinguished from each other in the body. But they're all manifested and filtered and organized by the same fabric. So we actually have huge difficulty in seeing the multidimensionality of the fascia as a whole that self-generated the individual parts. Now, in embryology, very often it gets divided into genetics and epigenetics. Epi means upon. So we have the genetics, i.e. the gene code, and we have the epigenetics, i.e. the things other than the gene code. And there's a whole classical school of geneticists, and there is sometimes a difference between genetics and epigenetics, as you know, we consider the either or, that it's either genetics or it's epigenetics. But what we're being called to do as we have ever more sophisticated ways of seeing the body and seeing the interior of the body under a microscope is this ability to recognize that it's not one or the other. It's both, it's neither, it's either, it's or. And that brings us into the ancient spiritual wisdom that loses or lets go of this idea of a duality, the right and wrong, the up and down, the in and out, the antagonistic pairs of muscles, one contracts, one lengthens. It's either doing that to move or it's doing that to move. And it shifts us into a language where and it's doing that as well at the same time. And it's really hard for us to see that because it's what we're doing and it ends up being like looking at our own eyeballs. So it's not just linguistic games. Every one of our ancestors was a whole and complete being even though all those thousands of whole and complete beings joined together at some point in time to be in our lineage. And I I think that's one of the reasons that ancestral lines fascinate us so much. But every one of us was whole and complete, and yet it was a continuum. This is what's hard to get as well, because although we are unique, every single one of us, What makes us all the same is that every single one of us is unique. What's hard to realize is that every single egg that your mother was ever going to produce in her lifetime, 
including the one that eventually became you, is present in her as an embryo. When she was an embryo in your grandmother. So she represents the continuum which has to have its equal and opposite force, which is the discontinuum. And when those two equal and opposite forces come together at a moment in time and meet, we have the zygote, which shapeshifts. And the emergent properties of that particular occurrence in time brings about you. And you spend the rest of your life responding accordingly or disaccordingly to those emergent properties, always relentlessly expressed in the fascia matrix that is you. It doesn't subdivide itself down into separate bits. And even when Tom Myers has so brilliantly joined those bits together into bands, we don't move around in bands either. We move around in the round at all times. We have an interior and an exterior of sorts, but there's an interface between them. And we are constantly and relentlessly navigating, negotiating that interface of resilience, of vulnerability, of awareness at all times. And it includes our physical beingness. It includes our imagination or our astral awareness, if you want to call it that. It includes our emotional awareness. It includes our mental thought processes and our mind chatter and our mind's brilliance. And it includes our etheric awareness. And it's all contained in the soul or the spirit of the anima animus that is navigating that life force to keep on keeping on. That somehow motivated that caterpillar to keep eating leaves until it wasn't hungry anymore and wove its web that formed its chrysalis from which it then re-emerged as a butterfly. And you can't analyse the butterfly by pinning its wings to the wall and deducing from its colours, from its wing spread, from its size, from its shape, from any data that you can deduce from, deduce from it, how or who or what it will become. So we can analyse ourselves psychotherapeutically, physiologically, any which way. But we cannot exclude the life force that animates the quality of what we do and be and feeds it back constantly and relentlessly through this neutral matrix of our form, the fascia. Now, some of you will challenge me on the word neutral here because 
when I say neutral, I don't mean it is neutral in the sense that it's vanilla and we're all the same. And in another way, I do mean that. So hear me out for a second. What I mean is your fascia in certain ways is impersonal. It's feeding back to you. You have a choice as to what you pick up, what you run with, what you make it mean, what you do with it. And sometimes you don't know what to do with it. So you go for advice and you get help. But whatever else is happening, that fascial matrix is computing every keystroke you put into it. Even though you might need a translator to help you work out how to manage it sometimes. So like a little baby needs its parents or needs some sort of loving guidance in order to bring it to the next level of maturity, i.e. the child. And the little child needs a an environment of caretakers to get it to the next cha- stage of adolescence and so on through our lives. And we are constantly shifting from this drawing in from the outside, bringing the abilities of the placenta into the embryo to grow ourselves as one. And then we emerge into life. And it's almost as if our family become our placenta. And we must draw in from them and grow ourselves up. And then when we get older and we can choose our friends or choose the families we're going to create, we, we keep recycling this, this process. And because it's multidimensional, both Yap van der Waal as a professor of embryology and my spiritual teacher mentor, they both use the same two words to explain the dimension or the type of movement this includes, which is centrifugal and centripetal. It's always in the round, from the outside in to the inside out. That's the shape of the movement. And that's why we often use Hoberman spheres when we're trying to make an image of the breath, because we're trying to consider this expansion and then the opposite, as the, that that which expands draws in. And in the body, we call that the breathing. We call that peristalsis. And it is the nature of every movement within us. And the fascia as the neutral servant of the body is seeking to preserve that nature and inform us if there's anything amiss or guide us as to how we can give it more attention if we're listening. So it's always responding while it's alive to that fundamental life force of breathing in and breathing out. And in spiritual practices, it's not just about discovering the soul and finding out about spirit. Very often, it's finding the stillness in which to simply let go of all the mental mentalizing and all the thinking and all the feeling and all the sensory input and allowing 
the beingness to simply infiltrate via the breath. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. And there you have, regardless of which muscles, bones, respiratory facilities you think you may be using, I can assure you, your body doesn't reduce breath to that. You simply receive the breath and give the breath away. And fundamentally, the fascia is honouring that basic foundation to serve you to do whatever it is you think about or feel you should or want to learn about. It remains whole. It remains a liquid crystal matrix, whether we understand it or not, that honours our centrifugal, centripetal, our expansion, our indrawing, our movement, our ability to modify those rhythms and those rhymes that are our individual stories as beings in bodies. And reducing all of that down to component parts is really, really hard. And there are huge discussions in the world at the moment about nomenclature or nomenclature, as you say in America. And the difficulty is the idea of reducing fascia down to its so-called physical matrix and then its separate functions. And that's already becoming two different discussions. And as you know, Neil Thies is someone that I've spoken to um, on this podcast, and he speaks about the interstitium, the in-between. But it isn't just the in-between, as if it's not the things that it lives in between. I know, it, it does your head in a bit, but it's supposed to, because we can't see our own beingness. It really is like looking at our own eyeballs. We can't do that. So what we're reaching for here is an idea of how the interstitium is more than the, the dots that are being joined. It is the fabric in which they self-organize. So without it, there is no anything else to be joined together. So one of the reasons I like to refer to the fascia matrix is that it's much more than its individual expression. And so are we. How many times have you gone shopping and bought something that you brought home and you thought, was I actually me when I bought that? Did I buy that in the dark? What was I thinking? And what that is, is you taking one of your archetypes shopping and coming home with something they bought that you don't recognize when you get home. It can be hilarious. 
And you can be in a situation where it just felt so right at the time, like you were on holiday and they had these beautiful foods and you are in the complete archetypal luxury of your best, fun-loving, most relaxed, most easygoing, most well-fed, most delighted you. And you eat these particular foods or wear these particular clothes or whatever it is, and you have to buy them. You have to buy more of them to bring them home. But when you get home, there's a whole different archetypal zeitgeist waiting for you. And suddenly it doesn't matter in the same way. And what those are, are different archetypal expressions of you. And it really serves us to know those a little better because then we can really get used to ourselves and get to understand the different facets of ourselves a little more clearly on a, I don't know, true personality level, on a beingness level. But our bodies are the vehicle, if you like, and I hesitate to use that word because I, I don't mean the machine, I mean the vehicle, like a, like like a candle is a vehicle for light if it's lit, like a cloud is a vehicle for fluid if it rains, we know it. So our beingness has this vehicle called our body and the interface between the two for me is the fascia matrix. So when I say the fascia matrix is neutral, it's neutral in that it expresses what you put through it or what you put it through. It hasn't got anything else. It's not about whether you feel neutral or not. It's about the fact that that's a neutral, impersonal way that we have, that we express ourselves through our gestures, through our bodies, through our shape, through our style, through our beingness, through our bodies. Soma to soul soul to soma. This is our translation mechanism. And language is one of the means we have to describe it. And I can't quite cope with the reduction of fascia down to a single term or being broken down even further into different terms for different applications, even though we do need different language you know, when Neil Thies talks about the interstitium, he's not talking about necessarily the interstitium of the heart or the interstitium of the liver or the interstitium of the muscles, but the interstitium of the whole body unites all of that. It's a unifying fabric, even though it can express itself in distinct parts. It can distinguish itself as cartilage. It can distinguish itself as liver or pancreas. Because the organization of the way it works and the folding properties that it encloses things with and enmeshes things as is part of its genius of self-expression, is part of its service to you as a being. So in a sense, it's neutral and then it gets a kind of genetic code to pancreas in that place because of this integration of architecture, of motion, of kinetics, of genetics. And it has a species pattern for the matter 
to enclose and be enclosed by. It cannot be reduced to form or function alone. And it cannot be segregated from the being animating it. And if we go back in history a bit and we go back a couple of hundred years to John D. Godman, who lived from 19, sorry, 1794 to 1830, he was an anatomist and naturalist who died young and was known, if at all, for his outstanding anatomical drawings and studies of the natural world. And he wrote a book called Anatomical Investigations, comprising descriptions of various fasciae of the human body in 1824. And he espoused a principle of honest observation of just whatever was in front of the student. So he asked them to drop all preconceived notions. He asked them to let go of what they thought they were supposed to be seeing because the study of anatomy was quite established by that time. But he insisted that his students ignored these named systems and looked at the parts within the whole in their original context of the fascia, of the continuous tissue. And he wrote the following. The following investigations were begun without reference to any system and without the slightest wish to support any preconceived opinions. The conclusions drawn were unavoidable, even at first inspection and their correctness was more firmly established by every subsequent examination. It was almost 200 years ago that he wrote presciently at the end of his introduction, the novelty of these descriptions will perhaps be the greatest impediments to their general acceptation. For it has been very correctly remarked by an illustrious anatomist, Geoffroy Saint-Hilaire, that there are many persons who become furious at the mere enunciation of new ideas. Like him, however, we shall wait patiently, convinced that time fixes everything in its place. Andrew Taylor Still lived from 1828 to 1917. And he actually referred to the body as a machine, as was the common practice. But he offered the idea that it was designed to heal itself by a force greater than itself. And he wrote, this life is surely too short to solve the uses of the fascia in animal forms. Just think about that. He recognised that it was multifunctional. It penetrates even its own finest fibres to supply and assist its gliding elasticity. Just a thought of the completeness and universality in all parts. Even though you turn the visions of your mind to follow the infinitely fine nerves. There you see the fascia and in your wonder and surprise you exclaim, Omnipresent in man and all other living beings of the land and sea. Other great questions come to haunt the mind with joy and admiration and we can see all the beauties of life on exhibition by the great power with which the fascia is endowed. The soul of man with all the streams of pure living water seems to dwell in the fascia of his body. 
And this was very prescient because it's only now that we're fully understanding the fluid properties of the fascia matrix. But as a liquid crystal, it is essentially various densities on a spectrum from harder soft matter to softer soft matter. And writing from a view that harks back to Hippocrates in its values of working with the human experience as well as the condition being presented at the time, if someone was unwell, still suggested that the innate human capacity for self-healing came from the fascia. The fascia, I know of no part of the body that equals the fascia as a hunting ground. I believe that more rich golden thought will appear to the mind's eye as the study of the fascia is pursued than any division of the body. Still one part is just as great and useful as any other in its place. No part can be dispensed with. But the fascia is the ground in which all causes of death do the destruction of life. Every view we take, a wonder appears. I dislike to write and only do so when I think my productions will go into the hands of kind-hearted geniuses who read, not to find a book of quotations, but to go with the soul of the subject that is being explored for its merits. Weigh all truths and help bring its uses front for the good of man. So, to all you kind, generous-hearted souls out there, I just appeal to you to consider that your fascia is all about wholeness within which we can examine certain parts, but they are so profoundly integrated and interwoven and enmeshed that it is the separating of them that causes many, many problems. At the same time, it is our ability to separate them that can heal us when, for example, a tumour is removed. So we're sitting with this paradox, with this multi-dimensional idea that it's both neither, either, or. That it's all the above and none of them. And that when we extricate one fact and fly with it and try and prove it, it doesn't explain the whole. So I leave you with that, the idea that your, your fascia is responding to you 24-7 as you are responding to it, that you're in this exquisite relationship, that it actually is you in the sense that it contains you and all your alchemy, your energy, your substance, and the miraculously unpredictable, mystical and magical things that you do. Take care. Stay safe. God bless.